everyone. Hi, welcome. Hi. We're back. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> so welcome back to Love's Labour's Watched. Many of you, hopefully, listened to our first season, mm-hmm. which was predominantly about Paul Dark, the BBC drama, and actually its second series, which was broadcast in the autumn of 2016. Yeah. Um, interesting, because like, the, the third series was broadcast only like a few months later. Like, yeah, which, uh, absolutely it was. Which is odd. But... Um, Contrary to popular belief, we were never a specifically Poldark podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, it, has, uh, it has been said that people saying, oh, uh, you just do Poldark. And we're like, would be quite niche. Not, would be very niche. Not like a bad thing to do. And also, of course, as you might have noticed, we didn't do season three at all. So, um, but no, rather that was just something that we were interested in at the time and we wanted yeah. to talk about. And we were cutting our teeth on podcasting uh, as well, given the fact that uh, I don't really listen to podcasts a whole lot. Francesca does, but we also had never done one before, so we're still slightly in the better stages, but this is officially season, series? Series two of Love's Labour's Watched, um, which is coming with a slightly brand new format, but we'll get to that. First of all, we thought we would introduce ourselves to those who maybe never knew who you really were. (laughs) (laughs) Just like anonymous voices. Yeah, and also those of you who are new. So hello, I'm Helena. And I'm Francesca. Yeah, we are two 23-year-olds who live in London. Um, and basically, uh, we're friends because we were friends at university. Francesca studied English. I studied history. We lived together, all that jazz. Um, and now we're living down in London. Yeah, we met in Edinburgh. Uh, we both have an incredible passion for Scotland. <laughs> and as it's going to be evidenced by our topic, which we're not going to reveal just yet. But yeah, we we definitely... Both love living there, but now we're enjoying living in London and exploring like all the vibrant cultural offerings that the <laughs> big city has to offer yeah. us. So. Um, yeah, and I'm from London. Francesca is from. I'm from Kent. Yeah. So, so there was a certain amount of uh, one. We finished university. We both. I moved home. Francesca moved here for work. Um, so we've spent the last you know year getting our first jobs. I did a master's degree, and now I'm in my first job in the media. Yeah, and I'm a journalist, so we both work in similar industries. Which require quite a lot of uh, current affairs knowledge and awareness of popular culture. So this kind of slots right in really well with what are already our previous interests and also what are part of our job roles, which are very much bound up in what's going on in the media. So that's basically us. Yeah. Oh, I had something else to say. Oh, did you? Mm. We thought it'd be interesting, dear viewers, to try and like slightly kind of put ourselves together as oh, yeah, people who were actually idea. interesting, <laughs> rather um, than just people who sat in someone's <laughs> basement. Okay. So that's who we are. Um, again, uh, if you want to tell us who you are or talk to us at any at any point, um, you can follow us on Twitter at real llw. We are always active on there and really willing to chat. Um, we also have an email, which is loveslaborswatched at gmail.com. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. From our, we've been listening to the Hilo podcast, and from what they say, it seems that they have a lot of trouble getting people to email them on the right email. But that's where it is. Um, if not you sure want we've to email ever us, our email. So no. we might have like lots of emails from fans and not really. Going forward, we will. And also, I'm sure, you know, if you were somebody who was really interested in what we were doing before, it must have been a bit frustrating that we've been a bit off the radar. As Helena says, 
it's been a sort of busy year for both of us with settling down into our young professional lives but as we are more settled now um, and we are committed and very excited about this podcast yeah. so hopefully we will be more consistent and we're getting started so essentially we have a slightly new approach this year this year this series um, instead of going with one topic that is stretched out across a series of episodes we're now going to cover one thing every episode that's different so as Francesca said it might be a book one week or it might be a show one week depending on what we feel like uh, and we're gonna basically discuss the topic from different angles um, of interest that consider maybe some interesting more uh, theoretical yeah some like critical kind of critical theory. don't worry it's not going to be too heavy but yeah. as Helena said she did history and I did English, so we do, we, do, we do enjoy, like, overanalyzing things. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we'll probably take it, take a look at the topic or whatever we're looking at from a more modern, current perspective as well and think about it in context of what's going on. So that's kind of what every episode is going to be. We're also going to preface every episode with a opening chat and then a closing chat that's maybe a bit more sort of light and... And, and more kind yeah. of varied just about um, things in pop culture that we're enjoying, what we've been reading, what we've been up to over the past week, anything we're like hoping to catch. Yeah. As I said before, we're in London, so there's lots of great shows around here. Um, but also anything that we know is touring. So just, just things like that that we're mm. interested in. So hopefully... Even if it's uh, the topic we're discussing isn't a topic you know about or you're that interested in, A, maybe we'll persuade you that it is worth being interested <laughs> in, or B, even not, maybe you'll just enjoy listening to our general chat. Yeah, because you will get to know us in some way, hopefully. <laughs> but that brings us on to, hopefully on time, who knows, <laughs> on to our, yeah, we're doing okay, <laughs> on to our topic of the episode. So our first episode of season two series two is going to be about series three of outlander which is probably appropriate because outlander is one of the shows that really inspired us to get talking about these kind of things together and is a great show yeah i think this is what i was going to say earlier that the the almost like the minute i met helena we were both clearly into the same kind of shows and the same kind of books and also just like talking about them a lot and mm. outlander is one which i think inspires a lot of talk because it is quite a convoluted confusing and slightly strange premise that somehow works yes yeah, somehow works <laughs> um so for anyone who hasn't seen outlander or doesn't know what it's like i'm gonna go over to helena who is renowned in our book club <laughs> which may make a cameo at some point i don't know um for her very um, accurate, but not always concise summary. Long-winded is the word. This is going to be more concise, though. Yes, it will be. I, I promise. Francesca's looking at me like, <laughs> do it right. So, well, we are a little bit concerned for not going, running too much over time for editing purposes. So, and season three comes, obviously, after seasons one and seasons two. So, we're really in the thick of the story now. Um, the series follows uh, Claire Beecham who is a modern 1940s woman at the beginning of season one who falls back in time through some slightly um, Gaelic magic kind of thing. And she ends up in 1740s Scotland in the eve of the Jacobite revolutions. Think Scots against English, Scottish crown against English crown, Battle of Clodden, all that kind of stuff. Essentially, she has to find her way through the 17th, 18th century. She starts with trying to find her way back to her husband, in the future, falls in love with a Highlander who is beautiful and he's called Jamie and he's played by Sam Hewan and it's just amazing, um, and starts to stay with him. Throughout seasons one and two, we start to see them facing enemies. In season two, they go to Paris for a bit and they decide to try and stop the Battle of Culloden. That doesn't work. 
all this kind of vague stuff, which, you know, is very Diana Gabaldon, who's the author of the book. You know, everything she does is a bit bonkers. But by the end of season two, Claire has to go back to the future through the stones because Jamie has decided the Battle of Clodden is coming. They know what the outcome is. The Scots, Scottish clans are devastated by the English at, you know, at Culloden and they, their culture is devastated and they lose any political autonomy whatsoever and um she goes back and she's pregnant at the time which also makes jamie feel that she should go back even more she goes back uh season three kind of opens with her refinding her life with her husband frank and jamie actually surviving the battle they sort of we've only had five episodes so far with episode six coming next week and they've basically been finding their way back to each other with claire living her life, raising her daughter, who's actually Jamie's daughter, fighting with Frank, becoming a doctor, Jamie basically evading the law constantly. Um, and they basically end up in 1960 and 1760. Jamie's in Edinburgh, Claire is in Boston. Claire essentially finds out Jamie's alive and goes back to him. And that's kind of where we are in a season three. So that's kind of why we're starting now with Outlander, because... Uh, the series takes a, a real different turn, we think, after this episode, um, because Claire and Jamie together is a whole new kind of plot line, and we don't really see them apart anymore, nor the separate storylines and different timelines. So we're kind of starting talking about it now because we have a week break, and the show's going to take a different turn in the next couple of episodes, so it's going to be less the same. So it's a good place to kind of stop and take stock. Yeah, it's also interesting because um, during the press for the, this series, uh, the producers and the cast were talking about the fact that people could maybe jump into series three, mm. having never seen it before, and actually it'd be quite a good place to start. I mean, personally, I think you should probably go back and watch it from the beginning, but I do see where they're coming <laughs> yeah, from, absolutely. Um, in that it is a kind of new beginning. It was a new beginning for Claire when she ends up in the 60s, and she's having to raise her daughter and reconnect with this man that she never thought she was going to see again, as in her first husband. And now it's a new beginning for Claire and Jamie together, sort of, you know, rekindling their relationship after 20 years. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, been an interesting five episodes, but I think to begin with, we're going to talk about the character development. So, as we said, the main characters, Claire and Jamie, who is their relationship that you're rooting for. Mm. And I think um, when the show first sort of premiered, there was actually quite a lot of comparison to Poldark to bring it up again, despite the fact we said we wouldn't. <laughs> um, but what I would say is strikingly different is that no matter what terrible, terrible things seem to occur to Claire and Jamie their relationship remains the heart of the show yeah. and something that you're always rooting for as a viewer. Um, so interestingly, for the first five episodes of this series, they were apart. And, and they don't believe in any way that they're going to be back together. I mean, Jamie's whole storyline is prefaced, is con continually um, kind of pep peppered with these little sad moments where he's thinking about his wife and his daughter who he knows he'll never see again and he'll never he never met his daughter in the first place so you're constantly reminded of the fact that like they're thinking about each other with the slight resigned despair because they do believe honestly that they're never going to see each other again and it's only in the last 10 minutes of episode five that you're like oh wait they're going to be together again yeah so it is a show that is founded on its romantic storyline um and uh, relationship between the main couple because they have a really good working relationship the actors and the actual characters because obviously they're they fight and but they're still a team the whole way through the show yeah against everything you know jamie gives up uh, jamie gives up a lot so does claire 
It's true. To stay together and to be together. And they talk and they argue. And he's aware that she's from the future by halfway through season one. So they talk freely and openly with each other. So lose, you lose that in you do. season three. And, and I think the show is then relying on its other strengths. And I think um, it is a show that sometimes gets written off um, as we could argue, many things that are fundamentally sort of billed as a historical romance um, mm. sometimes get written off as being a bit flimsy. But actually, it's you know it's a show that deals quite candidly and rawly with the aftermath of sexual assault, mm-hmm. um, kind of shining a light on that sort of area, which isn't always marital, depicted well. You know, marital discord as yeah, well. Yeah, because they're married. Like, in fact, she, well, she has two marriages, both of which <laughs> are not wholly perfect all the time. Um, and then there's the historical aspect, like a lot of, um, so as I said earlier, we used to live in Scotland and we've actually coincidentally visited many of the locations that are used <laughs> in the movie. Only coincidentally, yeah. I swear. <laughs> and in some cases, coincidentally, some places we went on purpose, but a lot of it is filmed around Edinburgh. Um, and it's really reignited Scottish tourism, which, to be honest, did it need reigniting? I don't know. Everyone should go to Scotland. But but not everyone, because then there's not enough space for us. Well, true, true. We're going to Scotland, everybody. So, the, you know, the show has a lot to lose from splitting these characters up. It does, yeah. And they really, we think they really did a good job. Especially, I keep saying, I feel that like Jamie, as played by Sam Hewen, and obviously he's in the 1740s, 50s and 60s, bouncing from prison to being a domestic house groom person <laughs> to hiding in the woods with a cap on and big beard. You know, he has lots of different situations he's going through. And Claire, meanwhile, really doesn't. So I really think that Jamie, as played by Sam Hewen, carries the whole, at least the first four episodes, because his is the plot with some momentum that you don't actually know. Because you don't know what's going to happen. With Claire, you could be a bit more certain. Yeah, I think... It was an interesting choice because, so from the very beginning, it's Claire's story. It's Claire who you see in the opening shot. It's Claire who falls back in time. And does and the narration. Jamie, yes, yeah, she does this narration. And Jamie's kind of a secondary character, at least at first. I mean, most people would realise there's an instant chemistry. Um, and it's like midway through season one, they switch and give you Jamie's perspective a few yeah, times. Yeah, they do. Um, which works really well. And I think it gives the show more equal footing without sacrificing its, feminist angle and it's kind of Claire being this really strong female character because Jamie's equally just like I mean I I like what I I say that uh, I said in our podcast about Wonder Woman that Chris Pine did he played the boyfriend and I don't want to be like you know oh men need to have some kind of like other character to play so they feel as if they're playing a role it's more the fact that that Sam Hewen is playing Jamie Jamie is completely on Claire's side supporting her at all times he obviously challenges her when he needs to but equally the actor doesn't seem to be... Sam Hewen doesn't seem to be afraid of playing second fiddle and knowing that he is. Yeah. And actually, there's a certain amount of emotional openness that is required as well of someone like Jamie, who is a very noble, honourable, but also like sensitive guy who is in some ways beyond his time, just like, I would say, the dude, Chris Pine, Steve What's-His-Face is. And yeah. he plays it with a real, a real gentleness that I think really translates... Re- just pairs really nicely with Claire, who is very headstrong and is very belligerent in lots of ways. And then when you sort of see Jamie's character, it's not so, it's not overwhelming. He doesn't like overwhelm Claire and her role in the show, which I think translates really well to the second, third season, because, you know, his story is the one you see the most of. And you do have to kind of get used to him being a bit more of a protagonist. But equally, he plays Jamie with the same kind of, thoughtfulness and gentleness that I think I don't find so compelling about him you really see the emotional depth of his character where a lot of guys I feel like maybe are a bit afraid to act that openly 
I agree. Yeah, he is very willing. And I mean, we don't know him personally, sadly. We wish. But um, he always comes over, I think, in interviews as being very open to that. And he kind of knows, he knows that he is like sometimes like held up as a sex symbol. And like, but that also people really enjoy that sensitive aspect of Jamie's character and his willingness to kind of bear his soul as he does on many occasions. All the time. But I think one interesting aspect of so... You, you know, on the one hand you've got Sam Hewen as Jamie getting this like really great material to work with and then you have um, Catriona Balfe who is a wonderful actress oh, and man. spectacular human being she is great um, she as Claire is given a kind of more complicated role where at times she's actually quite unlikable in this series which mm-hmm. we've not really seen before you know she's very kind of closed off she seems quite kind of I mean personally I felt quite sorry for Frank in a lot of these scenes um, rather than discord yeah she's quite like disconnected from her daughter and she's only just kind of like trying to work out that relationship so it's not easy and I think um I admire the show not being afraid of making her a complicated flawed and three-dimensional character because that Mm. is realistic well I think it's certainly why I think that Jamie softens Claire a bit you know and often often you hear this thing I I thought the trope is the man is all pig-headed and and then the woman is the one who reels him in it's the completely opposite with Claire and Jamie and it's not a surprise to me that when she goes back to the future and raises her daughter with the man who isn't actually the daughter's father and the man that she does really care for but actually doesn't love as she used to you really see her struggling with motherhood and fighting with Brianna and also trying to maintain this sort of very platonic relationship with Frank when he's obviously in love with her but can't bear it and he has affairs and she's there being like I can't be angry I know I can't but I still am and she really struggles I think with her emotions and with Claire as a character with with her emotions that I don't think Jamie actually does Jamie in comparison is very he's always very self-aware mm-hmm. and Claire really struggles with her feelings and I think when they were together he was very good at drawing that out of her and now she's alone I think she really sunk back into the sort of problems that past that Claire in the 1940s before she left was facing actually in terms of like not dealing with things like her past in the war and now her past in the other war in the past and that kind of thing and I think you know again you're right they they didn't shy away from Claire just being absolutely miserable and hamstrung and her relationship with Frank never getting any better and I think another aspect of this is so as we said earlier it it's very much a two-hander between Claire and Jamie. And mm. in the first series, there were these characters who were sort of the other people who lived in the castle that they live in for quite a large amount of time. Um, and then in the second series, there were characters such as everybody's least favourite, Bonnie Prince Charlie, um, <laughs> who, <laughs> yeah, who <laughs> are, were, again, kind of secondary characters. But actually in this series, by the very nature of splitting them apart, there have had to be other characters who've sort of stepped up a bit. So... In Claire's storyline, you have Tobias Menzies, who also plays um, one of... Of the villains of the seasons one and two. So we've seen him as a villain, a really terrible villain, and now we're seeing him back as, like, Claire's loving husband. And I think, you know, he does wonders with that character of really making you feel sympathy for him. Especially the fact that you consider that Claire... So, obviously, Tobias Menzies plays both, and I think there is meant to be a real comparison of looks between the villain and Frank, the husband. And if you imagine Claire, who suffered at the hands of the villain, his name is Blackjack, yeah. Randall, she suffered, and Jamie will suffer even more. So to go back and to look at him in the face, there's a, you know that, that's a reality for both of them, even though he doesn't know, Frank won't know about it. 
and also for you as a um a watcher you're looking at him being like oh god like i saw him doing this horrible thing like you know three episodes ago yeah. but actually toby's menses is able to play these two off with absolute ease and it's really amazing because frank has su- frank has completely different personality completely different problems and is really struggling with this you know slightly dark edge that's drawn out by his problems with claire especially in the latter episodes where he they have a full-on proper fight and he plays it in a such a way that you don't see any randall's frank uh, blackjack randall's darkness in it it's wholly frank's yeah so i think when she's with frank and she's arguing with him and some of the arguments get almost physical like there's a bit where she throws a glass at him classic class. um you never have that sort of threatening fear that you do, obviously, in every single scene with that Black Jack. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a real props to his acting, but also props to the writers, I think, for allowing us to to really see the ins and outs of her relationship with Frank, which I think they could have skipped over. And I also think it is worth noting that neither Helen or I have actually read the book that this is based on, Voyager. Mm. Um, and we both read the first Outlander book, we which did. is just called Outlander, but we haven't read the others. Um from what I understand, Frank in the book is less sympathetic throughout. Mm-hmm. That's what I've been told by other book readers. I don't feel that Diana Gabaldon could really manage that emotional death. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Sorry, Diana. Sorry. Well, but I, I think it's true. Regardless, I think I think the show really benefited from fleshing out that relationship. And also, Brianna, who was Claire's daughter, is supposed to have grown up idolising Frank. And it would be unrealistic for her to idolise somebody who actually was, was like a terrible man. Like, clearly, in her yeah. mind, he was the one who was there I mean, for her. Yeah. And... He raised someone else's daughter knowingly. Yeah. There's a, I mean, Brianna herself also goes... This is, the, this is one of the strengths, I think, of the show. Even when they part the two main characters, who are the, you know, the heart, the relationship we watch, that we want to see, you know, they have some really amazing supporting characters and stories. And Jamie's there everywhere and some really great ones as well and there's one in particular that we found really compelling and we'd like to talk about in terms of what he brings to the show as a whole is captain john gray who enters in episode three yeah episode three as the uh governor of the prison or the warden uh of the prison that jamie is currently rotting away in and he's there for a good amount of time so they really have time to establish a relationship and there's a quick jamie obviously is at the head he's the most prominent prisoner so he's the one who obviously deals with the staff of the prison and he and lord john gray establishes kind of businessy relationship kind of founded on first founded on the fact that they can help each other out and then increasingly they start to kind of see that they have a a good kind of rapport going on and kind of become friends like they play chess in the mm. evenings and you know he it seems like lord john gray really wants to establish this good relationship with him as you know the head prisoner um and it kind of goes from there and then the relationship as it becomes you know deeper jamie you know, kind of one evening over wine sort of reveals his past with Claire and emotionally kind of opens up a bit. And it's really wonderful to see. And then obviously John Gray opens up as well. It turns out that he has this um, past relationship that he's also mourning with a fellow soldier from the British Army. So obviously it's kind of revealed that he's gay. And those of you who haven't watched the show won't know, but Jamie has a very kind of dark past when it comes to um, kind of intimate male relationships because of his trauma at the hands of masochistic um villain um blackjack randall who and he's a victim of male rape and that kind of thing so immediately their relationship is sort of brought to a new place 
which they then have to move forward from. Um, and it's great to see over the next kind of episode, Jamie's relationship with John Gray kind of move forward into friendship, which kind of says a lot, I think, about John Gray as a character. He's a homosexual character, but equally, there is a quote from a article I read that kind of talks about how he's given his own story and he's kind of given, you're able to kind of see him as a character as something more than just his kind of homosexual backstory, which is something that all the media does, which is something that we really enjoyed. I yeah, think. absolutely. And um, in this moment where the two of them bond over their shared loss, um, Lord John Gray sort of misinterprets this shared moment of bonding and um, just puts his hand on Jamie's hand in mm. what is actually quite an affectionate yeah. moment. But... He can't know that it means a lot of it means a lot to Jamie in a very dark way. Yeah, which is also partly because there is a similarity between John Gray and Jack Randall in that they're both red coat English officers. Yeah, the power dynamics between them are the same. Yeah, and in both cases, Jamie is because of um, the circumstances he is their prisoner. So obviously, it's bringing back a traumatic memory for Jamie, mm. but they are able to move past that and you know they realize it's a misunderstanding and the two become friends and as helena was saying their relationship is founded on this mutual respect for one another which is really mm. exciting to see which is proven to jamie as well he's kind he's the kind of the kind of character i think who if people prove by actions and words their sort of their characteristics um then he trusts them much more and i think john gray which is the great thing about him he's more than just you know a plot device you know, often in the media, I use the uh, example of uh, LeFou in Beauty and the Beast, the live action one, um, as an example. Obviously, he is um, a gay character in that too, but, it, you know, it's barely ever touched upon more than three seconds. And equally, he is a slightly comedic character anyway. I mean, his name is LeFou, you know, which is the mad, I think, in French. Mm. So it's not, it's not a negative portrayal, but it's not a hugely positive one either. And obviously, the community talked about this. Um, when the film came out, being like, oh, I don't know, like, is it that positive? Dis can Disney really be saying that they're doing so much good for the homosexual community in the media? And I think this show also has something to has a something to kind of add to that, particularly given the kind of um, the plot lines that came out of the first season. You know, we parallel Black Jack Randall and what he his plot line was to John Gray's. You know, you really start to see that Outlander is, I think, personally trying to take a trying to take the tropes that you see in the media quite often you know the gay character as either the villain or something to be made fun of quite often you know men kissing in shows and tv and film tends to be comedic i think which is not great and the fact that this show gives john gray this he, he's not just a homosexual character you know he is a friend of jamie and he is a supporter as well and he has his own pain that we see and his own real respect for Jamie, even though he doesn't have to have it, given the fact that he's a redcoat and Jamie is a Scot and they have this already have this very easy sort of negative relationship between them, given the fact that the English hate the Scots. So the fact that John Gray is given something, he's, he's a very full secondary character in a way that the show didn't have to do, but they did. And yeah. it's just so refreshing. And I found that I really, really enjoyed his portrayal. Big props to the actor as well. He yeah, did such he was, a good job. It's very affecting in what was quite a short space of time you really started to, you really believed in his role as a character and really mm. believed in his friendship with Jamie and we were also noting that it's interesting that he's really the first friend that Jamie's made since no definitely Claire. yeah um you know he had Murta and some of the other men from his clan but this is a, a new friend who he's met in an unexpected situation mm -hmm. and has been able to bond with against the odds 
which yeah. is and this character is an interesting rather you know different kind of character than you might see they could have very easily just had him be a nice english guy who doesn't have much of a backstory and you know you know but the fact they chose to give him give john gray his own sort of depth and you know the emotional pain that both you know both he and jamie have gone through i think kind of bonds them and it you know there's this really kind of powerful moment the first one in the prison when john gray kind of reveals himself but equally when um when they part for the last i don't think we're going to see him again really anytime soon so when they part um obviously jamie's had this child with um you know somebody there's a bastard child who he has to leave and he can't bring up himself and he leaves him in the care of john gray and his fiance um isabel who is also wonderful but we're not going to go into that right now um and there's this moment where obviously jamie is so concerned for the future of his son and he's so traumatized by you know the constant disloyalty and constant struggle he goes through when it comes to getting getting people to do what he needs them to do you know he offers his body to john gray and kind of says look if you look after my son i will i will do what you maybe want me to uh, which is to sleep together and john gray obviously has this wonderful reaction of being like no i'm your friend we have respect for each other i care about you and no matter what has happened not matter what like i may have happened between us i'm not going to sort of betray your betray you by taking this from you know, give taking this vulnerability from you and i said he, he gives the vulnerability back and jamie has this moment of actually having a friend who will support him and will be loyal to him yeah and it's I, really great it's a really great masculine friendship moment absolutely and i think it's also a, a big step in jamie's healing process because mm. you know jamie's had this he's almost going through the five stages of grief i think sam hewan referred to it in an interview mm. and for this is almost his faith being restored in humanity like he's got this friend he's got someone he can trust yeah. he knows his son's future is going to be okay mm. and you know it, it is a way of him then moving forward and being able to deal with some of perhaps some of the traumatic things of his past yeah and to bring john gray into that and to tackle you know they tackle it kind of head on what's happened to jamie in terms of the you know, the rape that he went through and john gray's sort of struggle with his own well, not as so much of the sexuality but with his place as a homosexual man in the 19th century who needs to have a you know and he ends up with a future and it might not be the one that is what he would have wanted but you know there's someone you know there's something that's pointed out in an article that i read that's like you know homosexuality was a criminal offense in the in the 19th 18th century as we know and so it does have this sort of like sense of being underground and being hidden and the fact they brought this out even though they didn't particularly have to i think is really really great i mean equally obviously you can still go further and you can still do more and you know someone pointed out that the kind of problem with even a show like this is that you know still you know a, as with one of the tropes of you know homosexuality in the media and in you know in popular tv it's that it's attached some quite often attached to sad sort of you know unrequited love storylines because you know and then you know they pointed out that you know the show does still john gray is still characterized and his story is still characterized by that but equally you know i think how much more could they have done with the time period yeah and we also don't know whether where the show is going with this going forward um Diana no. Gabaldon has written a series of books about John Gray, so I suppose there's even the possibility that he might get his own spin-off series. Um, oh, I would love that. that, that I love quite, John Gray. That would be quite so cool. cool. So yeah, it was great.
great to see a relationship that Jamie developed, which wasn't founded on distrust or deceit. Yeah. I mean, in the past, we've seen his his sort of pseudo friendship with Bonnie Prince Charlie, which, in fact, I think you could almost say the show was drawing a parallel to with the you know the playing chess. Oh yeah. Yeah, but this was a real friendship, a real relationship, yeah. and a real character who just happened to be gay. That wasn't the main part of it. Yeah, and to answer you, and we haven't even discussed this, but, you know, with all the stuff about masculinity and toxic toxic masculinity and men not sharing their feelings, I've always thought that Jamie Fraser has been a particularly emotionally vulnerable and open character, and I think I've discussed this earlier. So it's more the fact that, you know, with all these kind of discussions we're having about toxic masculinity and men not showing their feelings and how that relates to a whole bunch of mental health problems, it's actually seeing two men have a meaningful open relationship uh, having a meaningful emotional relationship with each other that is mutually kind of beneficial in terms that it helps them to grow and to be happier i think it's really great and they talk about you know they talk about their vulnerabilities the two of them over you know their chess and their wine so i think it's really great like to see that on tv yeah i agree and i think yeah, props to the writers and the actors for bringing out that relationship in quite a short space of time, no, making us believe in it and, yeah. and investing in it going forward. Yeah, definitely. That was one thing I really, really enjoyed. Secondary characters. Oh, I love secondary characters. There are so many good ones in this series. And on that note, um, also in that episode, uh, which I think we all agree was like a really great episode, it's called Hellwater, which is named after the the house in which the um that episode is set that Jamie's working in. Mm. You also have um, these two sisters who he interacts with, one of whom sort of in a very controversial move like blackmails him into having sex with her because um, she's obviously um being given away in marriage to an old nasty dude so he's her sexual freedom yeah and, and they present that quite interestingly because to begin with you're like what a cow yeah she's this vile character who seems to be taking advantage of her status and then they do present it in such a way that you feel some sympathy for her being another victim of the sort of circumstances pain, and constraints yeah, of her Yeah, of her time. position. And, you know, obviously Jamie being fabulous in all ways <laughs> decides to just take the bull by the horns and like, right, well, I might as well make her have a nice time, even though I'm like literally being forced into this because obviously she threatens him with many things. So, and then you obviously have her sister who is maybe given a more backseat role, but she's kind of quite... She's idealistic clearly, and innocent and and she's clearly going to be important going forward because yeah. she then marries lord john gray and, and they're going to bring to up son, yeah. the son who we should also mention because obviously that's a significant step in that jamie now has a child and a child that he's actually been able to be somewhat part of their life unlike his other child he wasn't able to with brianna or um claire and jamie's first daughter um was born still born still born yeah so yeah he's gone through so much stuff yeah yeah they have a difficult life in the show (laughs) um but the scenes in between jamie and this young boy who he forms this close relationship with but cannot reveal that he's actually his father oh very very moving um a wonderful use of a kind of 1960s song um in the uh 80 or 1760 18 no 1760s yeah um setting which was quite a sort of fun thing that they've done a few times um and it really set up like some it was a lot gonna be a lot for jamie and claire to discuss when they're reunited and that's what we're looking forward to yeah but and that kind of brings us on to we've already really discussed this but just to take a brief peek at it before we move on again that the show is obviously taking a real different stance it has to take a different stance in this season because the books demand that Jamie and Claire are apart 
and all this crazy stuff happens because mm. obviously they do like with Game of Thrones they do have to obey the plot of the books even vaguely um, and that's what they've been doing you know they've actually brought in secondary characters and they've really given Jamie particularly some time to grow um, and as you know, as in for us to see more of him as his own person and then equally yeah in terms of how they produce the show they have you know they've always had beautiful beautiful production values in terms of the filming and the music but something that they did in the first couple episodes I think that really hooked me in was using modern music uh, 1940s music back then to kind of like overlay Claire moving about and that kind of thing Mm. to really remind you of this to really remind you of the fact that it's double timed and they do it again in the end of season and and in season three and it it does really help to make me feel that it's quite a jazzy modern slightly different show yeah because I think um one way in which the show is obviously very different from other period dramas is the time travel element Hmm. and this season three has been really interesting because the time travel has been a huge part of it. We're always travelling around. Yeah, we've yeah. seen these two time periods, which are clearly going to be running on because um, although Claire leaves, she goes back into um, back in time at the end of this episode we've just seen, she leaves her daughter and Roger, with whom she's kind of started a sort of blossoming relationship. But the two of them, we very much assume at some point might well, go back themselves. Um, yeah, in so the meantime, they're in the here. 60s. So there's some really fun kind of like moments like where Claire was like preparing to go back and she was like making a costume for herself and how like you might go about that with the Batman music playing. She made out of raincoats because it's windy and cold in Scotland and rainy. Yep. The show has really taken the necessities of the plot line by the horns and not been afraid to sort of just roll with it because it is crazy. Crazy stuff happens. And I think it's also um so we've always enjoyed yeah. seeing the period costumes, the period interiors, like last year we saw Versailles. Um, but this year we've got to see some kind of really kind of creative choices by the costume department as they depict the 1960s. But mm. prior to that, they depicted the 1940s, the late 40s in Boston, the 1950s. And I think that's just a really fun element of the show as well, which definitely deserves props. And we should also mention um, the two actors playing Brianna and Roger. Sophie Skelton and Richard Rankin. Yeah, who I think are doing a really great job. And, you know, it can't be easy coming into a show where there's this amazing love story that everybody's really invested in. Look at our love story too. Yeah, but I think they've done a good job of making it quite different from Clara and Jamie. They're clearly very different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also think Sophie Skelton has done a great job of kind of embodying elements of both uh, Jamie, Jamie and Claire yeah. in and her Frank. performance and Frank yeah and you very much believe she is the sort of offspring of the three of them mm-hmm. so so yeah um, and equally one thing about the show that maybe brings it more into makes it more current than it already is even though it's currently on is the the strong kind of women's interest and kind of feminist leanings that it maybe, I mean, accidentally has I mean I happened to be at a and a with one of the producers and someone asked a question being like, oh, did you mean it to be such a feminist show? Um, and he went, no, we didn't deliberately do that. Um, and I think, there's a, I mean, deliberate is a difficult word. I think it's more that it's not meant to be explicitly a feminist show. Uh, it just, but it's still the character of Claire and also the other female characters who turn up like Galis and Brianna particularly um, are kind of out, out of time. Most in all the time in more ways than one (laughs) yeah i mean you know obviously claire deals with she really severely dislikes all the you know there's there's a scene in season three which is in a bar 
with Brianna and Roger and they're just like why Brianna asked why everyone's staring at them and Claire's like we're not allowed to be here so it's not just the 1740s and 60s that she struggles with her restrictions on her as a woman it's actually in the 40s and 1940s and 1960s as well so it's actually a kind of a key part of the show yeah I think it even accidentally it you know whether it was deliberate or not I think certainly Cacciona and the other character the other actors clearly yeah, they feel it should be. yeah they clearly play these roles in a way which is like they're you know three-dimensional fully embodied like real women flawed yeah grumpy <laughs> Uh, you know, the amount of times that you're reading criticism and you see somebody, you know, saying that Claire or saying that Brianna are being shoppy or being moody and you're like, no, they're just acting like to people. crazy events in mm. realistic ways. And I think another element of this that we saw, particularly in the first series, is uh, sex scenes depicted with the from the female perspective and it not being all about the woman being naked for you know the pleasure of male viewers in many know. ways you are people again the show encourages you and characters on the show do it too uh, objectify jamie much more than claire yeah like, and i think yeah. that's it's, it's admirable and you know it does kind of mean the show is perhaps elevated above just being a flimsy historical drama. I mean, I don't think anyone could ever accuse it of being flimsy, to be honest, because it's very complicated. Yeah, but things like the Tudors and the Borgias, you know, there are men in there who flip through women constantly, and the kind of actresses who t- come and go tend to be there for an episode or two and then leave. Um, you know, and then in this kind of show, you have really well-established female characters who stay. Um, Galus, Mrs. Fitz, Brianna, Yeah, Claire. every character who's introduced has a, a oh, role Leary. to play. Yeah, which, and the then, two daughters, the two sisters. Yeah, you know they're all going to come back into it, Whether and even if they are in a situation where they've perhaps passed away or so they're not going to be in it again, you know that their legacy and the things that happen to them are going to be explored. So yeah. I think... Like, that is empowering to watch as a woman. Yeah, and they talk about they talk about female relationships. Like, Leary, who is a, a girl in season one, is talked about in her capacity as a daughter, as a slight love interest, as a granddaughter. Her grandmother, Mrs. Fitz, is, like, the manager of the castle that they're in at some point, and she's a grandmother and a, and a grand, an aunt as well, and she's, like, a kind of bit of a mentor to Claire, and then Claire has a friend, Galus, and Galus is, you know powerful and that she actually takes action kills her husband but you know she takes action to for her own independence and that kind of thing so is this i feel like every female character who turns up is treated as a part of the plot yeah it's very they're very multifaceted characters and and the same is true of the male characters as we that said is also true earlier um so it's a really enjoyable show for character and you get to see these stunning scenery and you get to explore elements of history that perhaps you're not familiar with and if you have any interest in kind of time travel or like you know elements of sci-fi or fantasy it sort of has a bit of that in too so i would argue it has something for everybody yeah and honestly and from you know just down to the down to it you know you get to watch a really strong interesting flawed main character make her way in a world which is actually really interesting to see and also i will give the show i will give stars um who produce the show they're the obviously the television channel i will give them props to really make building a really really professional looking world you know they everything is really well done so you kind of watch it and you're like yeah this is i mean there's some crazy stuff that happens but it doesn't seem they handle it really well because it has to happen 
Brianna will have to fight a bear at one point. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Um, which also brings us on to, very quickly, Outlander's kind of role in current entertainment. Because obviously it's airing right now. You can watch it on Amazon Prime. If you're in the UK, on the US, it airs on Stars. Yeah, I mean, I think even that very statement, so the fact that it's on an Amazon Prime in the UK, in the UK it's kind of been a word-of-mouth success, it's not on a cable channel. Mm. Um, they've actually recently started showing it on Channel 4, like they're showing the first series at the moment. Oh, cool. um, so I think that's going to be opened it up to people who perhaps don't go for streaming services. Mm. Um, it's a very bingeable show, it definitely mm. has that element to it. So. I indeed binge-watched ten episodes of it with my friend about two weeks ago. <laughs> so it has that, um, but it, and it's, it's interesting because I think it's very well-loved. It hasn't particularly won awards, it's not really been like Emmy bait in the way that like Game of Thrones has. Uh, perhaps that's still to come, who knows. Yeah, and it's not like, like Game of Thrones with my more high profile, I wouldn't say it was better. No, I think sometimes, um, you know, these award ceremonies, there's a lot of politics going on there that we don't necessarily know about. Um, But it is, we watch a lot of period dramas. You know, the Borgias, the Tudors, um, Poldark, you know, and in many ways, what Poldark has the kind of backbone of being a BBC show, which makes it generally great. But I feel like Outlander is all, does something slightly more than other period dramas do when it comes to tackling like the characters are multifaceted the issues that are dealt with are pretty raw and awful but they deal with them you know it's like how you know the male rape stuff they deal with in season one you can compare that with the kind of rape scenes in Poldark but those are so problematic and they the BBC just did not tackle it in any way no I think um they're very they think through very carefully everything that so everything that they cover has already been written in the book but they will happily change things. They will sort of reimagine it or repurpose it in a way that they think is more suitable for television. Or and for also, the show itself. Yeah, yeah, more just suits the show as it in the incarnation that it is in. Um, so I think it's a really interesting show. I mean, as with anything that sort of takes hold of the public imagination, I think that's always fascinating to examine and look mm. at. Um, and it will be interesting to see after this series, as we said, both Sam Hewen and Catriona. Um, have kind of had like maybe more meaty things to deal with so it'll be interesting they're also both playing a little bit older than they are in real life so it'll be interesting to see if that sort of gives the show more like respectability not that it's not respectable but just more um maturity yeah equally we are i think we are definitely going to see a much more relaxed ensemble an, an entrenched ensemble cast rather than in season one and two where we obviously had characters who turned up time and again but the story was wholly about Claire and Jamie, and we, we're not going to have that anymore. We're going to have multiple stories with Claire and Jamie at the centre. But that's exciting. I think it is exciting. You know, it, it sets it up for a lot of unknowns, like even for those who are familiar with the books or those who know what to expect. And yeah, we're really excited to see how Outlander proceeds, and we hope that you've enjoyed this discussion. And if you have any thoughts, anything you agree with or you disagree with or hmm. you wish we'd spoken about, you'd like us to address in a future episode, please let us know. You can tweet us or email us. Real LLW is the Twitter. Loveslabourswatch at gmail.com is our email. And we're very happy to have a segment where we talk about what you guys have said to us. We just need so, you to say things to us to for that to happen. Um, yeah, and equally, yeah. Um, right, so that moves us into probably a, short, a slightly shorter version of our free chat, which we promised you, which is just a bit lighter and just us having a chat about things that 
are interesting us at the minute. So, I mean, go ahead, Flan, what do you want to talk about? Okay, so in this segment, we just thought we'd talk a bit about um, yeah, cultural things that we've been interested in, what we've been up to this week. And um, So this week, I have been watching The Good Place, which is ah, yes. uh, Netflix. Well, it's shown on Netflix in the UK. I believe it might be a CW show I in America. I think it actually aired like a year ago in the yeah. US as well. And it's now, I, I have managed to binge it and I'm now caught up with real time where they're putting a new episode on each week on Netflix. Mm. Um, it's created by Michael Schur, I think I'm saying that right, who um, created The Office and Parks and Recreation. Oh, both great Helen shows. and I are both big fans of those shows. Um, particularly Parks and Recreation, I, one of my favourite comedies. So I was really excited to get like a new a new comedy and a few people recommended it to me I think it's a great show I feel like it's really interesting so I was talking about it to Helena yesterday and uh, she was saying that she I thought it was vapid yeah she didn't think there was much to it but actually there's a really interesting twist at the end of the first season Mm. and then the second season so far I think we're only on episode three or four has been really interesting like turning the um, ethos, ethos of the show on its head like every episode in a way that's completely bizarre to me like there's been an episode that was quite like similar to Groundhog Day and and it's been very addictive um okay because I I did watch it well I watched about eight episodes I, I assumed it was just like another silly silly show and it didn't become clear to me that the whole thing was very facetious until Francesca pointed out what the ending was and I was like oh it's kind right. of deliberate so yeah I think that's really worth checking out um it's more to it than you think. So. Yeah, and just, and I read an article today, even at work, not for work. I wasn't just like not doing my work. Um, and it was about Jamila Jamil. Yeah, who is the British T four Br- presenter? Yeah, who's now a star of the show. And she was just talking about how she got onto the show, and she plays like a very funny. Was this a BBC News article? Yes, yeah, I read this. Oh, she read it. Too. Yeah, yeah, not surprising. Um, and basically, she went to she went to LA to sort of try out some new projects, and her agent was like, "Why don't you?" Try out for this role, and she was like, "I don't act." And her agent was like, "Doesn't matter, go for it." She did it. She got it, and now she's just on this show that may have apparently seven seasons. Yeah, and, and she's great in it. I think all the cast are really good. So you've got Kristen Bell, who's obviously a really well-known actress who's been at the heart of a lot of series and movies. Mm. But then everybody else in it isn't as well-known. Um, it's I been love, praised yeah. for having a really diverse cast, but I, I read an article where they just said it was effortlessly diverse, and I would agree with that. It's not like, There's no big yeah. thing about that. Like, um, there is... No, the four main characters are technically four different ethnicities, I say with air quotes, because you don't want to be too, like, pigeonholing people. But that's if you look at it face up that's what it is yeah so that's that's um yeah it's always great to see that kind of thing um it's got a really kind of fun like stylized element to it which i've enjoyed it in a way that reminds me a bit of um the show pushing daisies which was on about 10 years ago that was, yeah that's a good show yeah I watched that show. there's a similarity there um pushing daisies on the same vein i'm excited for crazy ex-girlfriend where the new series has just started uh, right yeah um that i absolutely love i feel like it's completely subverts all your expectations you think it's going to be this very again a kind of cliched like hackneyed take on like the crazy, crazy ex-girlfriend girlfriend, trope yeah. but actually it's sort of doing that all on purpose it's tricking your expectations of what you think a romantic comedy is going to be it's great if you love musicals because like each week there are like musical songs yeah, she in sings, it doesn't she? so there's a lot going on there and it took me like quite a few episodes to actually appreciate that show and then I became obsessed, which I think oh, that often happens, I suppose. But and then on a different note, um, <laughs> book wise, I just finished The Power, uh, which is by Naomi Alderman, which has been 
really really talked about um as we mentioned earlier we're in a book club everyone in the book club was talking about it i haven't read it yet um i picked it up read it really quickly it was a good tube read um and it's a really interesting one which maybe maybe we'll come back to because we talked about kind of uh, discussing female-led dystopian fiction slash tv obviously they've got the handmaid's tale is really and big at the moment kazuma shiguro is the winner of the nobel prize yeah he's never let me go so we maybe will come back to it so i won't go into too much detail but i really enjoyed it and it was a very interesting kind of look at power structures and i felt like on the back it's one of the reviews said the handmaid's tale meets the hunger games and i think that is quite accurate and it's mm. also been quite interesting because it reads almost more like a young adult novel uh-huh. but it's still and i think you know young adults would definitely enjoy it but it's still got a very like meaty themes behind it but it's also very addictive so yeah it was a great book and i'm now reading alias grace or is it alias i don't know how do you say the word oh so this is another margaret atwood book oh uh, um, i'd say mm, alias then yeah so it is um also being adapted for a tv series by netflix which is coming out in november so uh, that was partly my motivation for reading it, partly because um, the only Margaret Atwood book I read is The Handmaid's Tale, and which I really enjoyed. So I was like, oh, I'll have to read another one by her. I've only kind of like read like a chapter, but it's about um, a girl in, I'm going to get the time period wrong, but I think 18th century America. Okay. Uh, it might be 19th century, who is charged for murder. Um, and it's kind of about her life imprisoned in this house where she's sort of been kept as a domesticated slave i suppose in some senses and she's a she's a servant and that's kind of her punishment at least this is what i understand so far like please forgive me if i'm being inaccurate because i only just started reading the book um but there are some similarities with the handmaid's tale in that she's in this house she's uh it's her interior monologue but the difference is i suppose you don't know whether you can trust her is she a reliable narrator and it's based on a real historical event um and a real historical character it's also set in canada which is where margaret atwood is from so yeah i'm, I'm excited to read that and then see the tv adaptation shortly ah helena over to you okay well um in terms of tv i've been watching the new star trek uh, starring i'm gonna have to google her name give me a second because i don't know it it's terrible of me that i don't know her name Star Trek Discovery, which stars Sinequa Martin-Green. Apologies, I'm saying it wrong. I've never heard her name said out loud, so I'm just going from what I see on the internet. But she's actually the first black lead of Star Trek ever. And there have been, obviously, black characters such as Ahura in, you know, in the show. Obviously, I don't haven't really watched more than the original series a little bit and then the, the actual films, but... I absolutely, absolutely adore this new series, which is meant to be, I think, Netflix's new sort of, like, enduring multi-season Star Trek adaptation. And obviously, it's, if you don't know about it, it's set before the films that had just come out, the ones that have Chris Pine in them, who is great, uh, as James Kirk, and obviously Spock, etc, etc. And essentially, it's her, kind of, during the Klingon War, and on this science ship, discovery that is making leaps and bounds in terms of making basically machines you know weapons for war and she's up against this like very um headstrong captain 
um, and there's like a very nerdy science person and all this kind of stuff. And essentially it's kind of drawing on the tropes that make the show so great, which is um, multi-ethnic casting and, you know, making leaps and bounds in terms of storytelling that are maybe beyond its time, but equally staying true to the core of what is basically a fun sci-fi show. I love it. Honestly, do you, think, do you think I would enjoy it? Yeah, Sinecra Martin Green is okay, absolutely fantastic. And it's actually, the great thing about it is it's not dated. Like, the original series is literally just like a whole bunch of very slow moving close ups <laughs> and terrible slapstick battle scenes. And it is funny. Also, the amount of makeup that Spock, um, Leonard Nimoy wears is just like, I can't stand it. It's just, it's ridiculous. But it's the 60s or 50s, 70s. What do you know? But yeah, and honestly, she is a revelation. As Michael Burnham, Sinecra Martin Green, she is amazing. She's so good. I love her. Um, so that's great. And also, she's a woman. I'm like, yay, great, women lead. Love it. Um, so that's what I've been watching. It's showing on Netflix now. You can still watch it. You're all good. Uh, and I've been reading. Uh, I went to a bookshop on Sunday, the local bookshop. Help shout out to you, Clapham Books. I also got, I bought the power from our local bookstore Love, as well. Yeah. Clapham Books, you are great. If you want to sponsor us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and I picked up Kate Chopin's The Awakening and um, uh, Jean Riss's Wide Sargasso Sea. And both of them are short novella-esque kind of length uh, books that are about uh, women in the 19th and 18th centuries so sort of like you know um so i'd forget to see is what i've actually read um and then he finished with it and it's basically a retelling of the story of the mad wife in the attic from jana um as a you know she's uh, a white creole in jamaica and she obviously marries edward rochester and it's about her growing madness and equally her position as a white ex a, a part of a now non-slave owning society as a white person and you know the kind of racial stuff she goes through and anyway it's Jean Rhys is a really interesting author as well obviously she wasn't really given that much attention until she got really old and then produced this book and everyone was like wow you're amazing and yeah so yeah she's it's a really great book I'm really really enjoying it it's nice and short good for the tube good for standing up on the tube as well because it's never a seat and I really enjoy her prose as well I recently read The Noise of Time and I really thought that it wasn't I, I liked the con I liked Noise of Time by Julian Barnes, but I felt that he thought he was writing a masterpiece and he really didn't. Meanwhile, Jean Riss kind of was just writing and was really amazing at it and it's just so poetic and beautiful and I'm really, really enjoying it. Well this is interesting because so I've also read a bit by uh Jean Riss. I'm not I don't know how to say her name either. Jean Riss. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um called Quartet, which is about these this kind of what well, a quartet of people in Paris and yeah. their like interactions. But um, that was actually for my English literature course. And then I remember then hearing about Wide Sargasso Sea and being like, oh, that sounds really interesting. It's really good. And it actually links with also um, last week, I went to the, the National Theatre's production of Jane Eyre, which I would highly recommend. Like, it's a really, really good Yeah, that's what, that's what inspired me to buy it. Yeah, oh, cool. So I'm going interlinked. 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 <laughs> but what I was going to say is in that production, um, it's quite like an abstract sort of, but still very emotionally exciting and sort of, revelationary story or retelling well not even a retelling it's just a production of Jane Eyre um but one of the things they do that's quite exciting is they get Bertha 
aka Mrs. Rochester, aka the mad woman in the attic. Also now called Antoinette for yeah. some reason in my book. <laughs> to sing, and there's a lot of music in it, and she's sort of, by singing, she's kind of reclaiming that narrative voice that yeah. Jane Eyre, the novel, and sort that's of exactly takes what away, and that's Jean what Jean is trying to do. And I think Joyce. I also think I'm probably going to reread Jane Eyre after this because I do like Jane Eyre a lot. Yeah. Yeah, so that's us done. Yeah, so I'm not sure what we're going to discuss next week. We will let you know. They're keeping on our Twitter yeah. um, and our social media. And um, if you have any requests or anything that you think, um, as you said, we're, as we said, sorry, earlier, we're open to discussing movies, books. We kind of quite like the idea of keeping it fairly topical of something that's like currently on or, but then not necessarily. We might do a book that came out several years ago that we just think is like culturally really? relevant at the moment. Yeah, our book club is a big, severe inspiration. Equally, if you want to join our book club, Send us an email and we'll see. Shout out to the book club. Shout out to our book club pals. Um, but yeah, thank you for... Oh, that's that's pals putting on the floor. Um, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you tune in next time when we will let you know what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, well, thanks for listening. Okay, bye. Bye, guys. <laughs>